Good morning, everybody. Get myself sorted. I can stare at my collection of items and get confused and think, what on earth is this all about? It will become clear. While the buckets are still going round, you might want to be, if you've got a Bible with you, you might be turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to carry on our journey through the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. We're going to be starting to look at chapter 3 today. If you haven't got a Bible with you, that's, that's okay. There's no problem. You, if you want to follow along and you haven't got a Bible with you, the uh, words will hopefully appear on the screen behind me as well, so you can read it there. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Uh, Okay, great stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded. Hang on, have I missed a bit there? Can't remember, I'm going to read it again, look at the martyr done. Yeah, you're on verse 7, I think I jumped to verse 8. Back to verse 6, I planted the seed... Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, we've seen already in this letter, for me, in a sense, this passage is a bit like deja vu. The last time I preached in 1 Corinthians, it was 1 Corinthians 1. And we started at verse 10, and when we got to verse 12, we suddenly got to... What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Now, he's cut out some of the names this time, but he's back to the same thing. But Paul has recognised a problem in Corinth. He's addressing it here, and he certainly hits them pretty hard as he starts chapter 3. I can't address you as people who, who live by the Spirit. People who are still worldly. You're, you who think yourself so wise, you're mere infants in Christ. You think you could handle all the intricate and detailed things, I still need to give you milk. You're not ready for it. There's this issue 
of worldliness. And he keeps talking about, what's he talking about? It's repeated, 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 repeatedly. It's repeated throughout this chapter. These first few verses, you're still worldly. You're thinking in a worldly way. You're not thinking like one who's full of the Spirit, who's living by the Spirit of God. He's talking about the way they're thinking and the way their attitude is and, and, and what they think about things. As we look at the background to this, we've seen the last couple of chapters of what he's been saying to them. We see these, these folks in Corinth who thought, they saw themselves as quite wise and there's this sense that they desired worldly wisdom. Paul has been hitting this and tackling this again and again through these first couple of chapters. It's not about that. You look back in chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul's saying, it's not about that. It's about Jesus and his cross. It's not about cleverly thinking it out and working it out. It's not about anything the world thinks of as being wise. So he goes on, we see, he quotes... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, 1 verse 19, and the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. That sounds interesting. He goes on in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. What's Christ crucified? A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. This isn't worldly wisdom. This isn't what everyone would think, oh yes, this is very clever and very, un very impressive. No. As he gets to two, chapter 2 and verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is what Paul has been tackling. This is the power of God. This is, this is the gospel. This is the truth that I've led you to believe. This is, the, this is where you stand. It's not human wisdom. It's Christ crucified. It's your Messiah hanging on a cross. It's the power of God. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's not anything that anyone would think is impressive. The Jews found it a stumbling block. The Greeks think it's foolishness. It's nonsense. As Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, you can't understand this without the Spirit. You can't understand it fully. You can think it out. You can reason it out. You can get a long way. But without the Spirit at work, you can't get hold of this. Because the world thinks, this is nonsense. Your Messiah hanging on a tree. Your Messiah dying. God coming down and dying. It's not human wisdom. This is the backdrop. They, there's this sense that they wanted to appear wise. Paul's like, that's not what it's about. And so Paul, as he returns to this problem that he sees, what does he see? He sees quarrels and jealousy. Now, of course, that's clearly an issue in and of itself. Fighting amongst themselves, splits coming about, jealous of one another. But as we see in these verses, Paul's particular concern is what they're quarreling about. What are you quarreling about? What makes them worldly? And it comes back to this again. You say amongst yourselves, I follow Apollos. 
No, 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 I follow Paul. And as we look at these verses, we see that the issue ultimately comes down to a matter of their identity. Let me ask a question, who are we? We could ask the Corinthians, who are you? Are you, you're clever people who follow the best teacher? Or maybe, but ultimately, that's not what it's all about. This is what the Corinthians' worldly attitude displayed. We see their pursuit of worldly wisdom, and you see this sense, as it comes across, I have worked out that I should follow this teacher who's shown himself to be the best or the most impressive. This is what Paul's tackling. See, Paul's immediate response is, no, you've got it completely wrong. Because you think this, because you've got this sense, we're wise, we know, we know who we're following, we know what we're doing. No, because of, all, because of that, you're immature. You're infants. You're thinking like the world does. So ask the question again, who are we? And Paul gives the answer with an interesting image. An image of gardening or farming. Now, I'm going to need a couple of people to help me. Does anyone, perhaps under the age of 10, might be helpful, want to come and help me? You don't have to do very much. I see. I can see a hat. Kessie, do you want to come up? Alfie, do you want to come? Oh, sorry, you were behind the pillar, sorry. You, you come as well if you want. No, you can stay, that's fine. We'll have Kessie and we've got Alfie. Right. I've got my very special plant pot. Do you know anything about planting seeds? You know about planting seeds, okay, you can have the seeds. And you'll work out very quickly that these aren't real seeds. They're a bit pretend. You want to grab one? There you go. What are they? What are they, Kezia? They're stones. But they're pretend seeds. Don't worry. Right. You're going to be my planter. And Alfie, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of digging around first just to prepare this. Oh. You can have the watering can, okay? Right. So, Paul gives this image of planting seeds and watering them. So, you get, when you're planting seeds, you need to prepare the soil. We've got some pretend soil as well. It's a bit of cardboard. Prepare it up, and then you need to plant the seed, don't you, Kezia? So can you do that very carefully? Can you, plant, can you put, pop it in that hole in the middle? Can you push it down, and you just push it in? There we go. Well done. Brilliant. Perfect. Oh, we've got, we might have a couple of plants going here. We've got a few seeds going in. Brilliant. So you plant it down, and we cover it over, and, we, and you've done your job. You've planted the seed, haven't you? Well done, Kezia. We give Kezia a round of applause. Thank you. So Kezia's planted the seed. Now, what else do we need to do with plants? Alfie knows. He's got the watering can ready. We need, to, we need to water it, don't we? You're going to water my plant for me, thank you. Thank you, very good. That's really good water, that is. It's, it's professional water. Keep going. We'll have a bit more. In fact, we can keep going. It's fine. It's fine. You can empty the whole watering can. Is it empty yet? It was empty to start with, wasn't it? Brilliant. Thank you, Alfie. So Alfie's watered the plant. Give Alfie a big round of applause. But I'm going to, give you, I'm going to ask you a question. You can plant the seeds... You can plant as many seeds as you like, and you can water it as much as you like. Can you, can you make it grow? Can you make the plant grow? Or have we got to wait and see? We've got to wait and see, haven't we? 
because we can do as much as we like. We can plant as many seeds in the ground as we want, and we can give it the right water, and I expect a lot of gardeners will look around and go, yep, we know that. I'm not a gardener. We plant it and we see, but we have to wait and see what's going to happen. No, thank you to you two. You can go and sit down. Thank you very much. Give them another round of applause. We plant and we water. This is what Paul's talking about. I planted the seeds. Apollos watered the seeds, but ultimately we can't make it grow. We can't make the plant grow. Only God can make it grow. I get to pretend to be God today. There we are. Look at that. That is special, that is. Oh, it's fallen down. See, that was the danger of only putting the black lines on one side of the leaves, wasn't it? But anyway, there we are. Only God can make it grow. Only God can cause the growth. Jesus tells similar stories when he's uh, talking to all the crowds in parables. He tells the story we might be very familiar with, many of us might be familiar with, about the, uh, the sower who goes out and sows seed and it lands on all sorts of different places. And the, the kind of message there is you can't control what, what, where, the, where the seed's going, but it will grow when it finds good soil. But a bit later in the same chapter in Mark, he tells another story which seems even more similar. Towards the end of Mark chapter 4, in Mark chapter 4 verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And it's this same picture. The man scatters the seed, but can he make it grow? No, this is what happens night and day. Whether he sleeps, the man could be asleep. Or, he's, or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. But this whole picture that Jesus is building there and Paul builds here. I came to you. I planted the seed. I spoke to you. I got this thing started. I... I kind of came and preached the word to you. And Apollos came later, and he might have done other things. He might have taught you in other ways, and he might have done other things. He watered the seeds. But me and Apollos, we didn't make it grow. Only God can cause the the growth. Who are we? Paul lands with this. We are God's field. We are God's field together. This is what you are, Corinthians, he's saying to them. You're God's field. I've come and planted, Apollos has watered, but God is making you grow. God is doing the work here. God is, God is causing the life to spring. You see, it's not like the Corinthians seem to be falling into the trap of thinking. You see, what this is all about is that I'm a clever follower of a good teacher. No. Corinthians, you are God's field. He is doing a great work in you. He goes on to say, you're God's field, you're God's building, and you will come to that next time. And we'll see. Actually, Paul can use another whole picture of what's going on amongst them. But as we see this picture, Paul's planted, Apollos has watered, but it's God ultimately who gives the growth. We can unpack this a bit. And it speaks to us of How do we see leaders? How do we see ourselves? And how do we see God? We're going to do that for a few minutes. 
So firstly, how do we see leaders? Paul comes very clearly. Verse 5, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? You see, the Corinthians have been keen to name drop their chosen champions, but Paul counters almost dismissively, not even, who is Paul? What is Paul? What am I? What is Apollos? And his answer is this, we're servants. We're servants who did our job and are doing our jobs. Not champions, not saviours, not celebrities, not VIPs. Servants. You see, as the Corinthians seem to be prone to be doing here, the wrong view of leaders puts them up on a pedestal, lifts them up next to God and says, oh, that's the one I'm following. Treats them as kind of special people to be associated with. No, we're brothers and sisters in God's family together. So Paul goes on. We're servants, but he goes a bit further. In verse 7, the verse I almost missed out. Paul said that he planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So this, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. Only God who makes things grow. See, ultimately, it's all about God. The one who makes things grow. Paul and Apollos, they did exactly what they were set out to do. But the life and the growth, it can only come from God. So in that sense, and Paul, as Paul unpacks here, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters are anything. Only God. What's Paul saying? God deserves all the glory. God deserves all the honor. God deserves all the attention. Not any leader or influence who may have helped us. Of course, we can thank so many people who may have helped us on our journey. But ultimately, it's God who deserves all the glory. All the glory belongs to him. He is bringing life. Because what does Paul conclude? We are God's field. They're not Paul's field. They're not Apollos' field. This is not my field or Dan's field or even or Chris's field or even Jeremy Simpkins' field or Terry Virgo's field. This is God's field. The church, around the world, everywhere, this is God's field. He's the one who's bringing the growth. He's the one who's bringing salvation. He's the one who does it all. Such a message for leaders here. This is not ours. For us, this is not our church. For, you, for anyone in any particular thing, it's not your project or your position or your thing to, to keep closely hold of. This is God's work. He's the one who brings the growth. He's the one who deserves all the glory. Yeah, at the same time, Paul doesn't allow the opposite extreme. Well, if you're saying you're nothing, Paul... If leaders aren't anything, then, well, we just don't need them. Now, Paul is clear. All the glory goes to God, but God gives people a purpose and a, and a role and, and uses us in different ways. 
to serve him, to follow him, each as God has purposed. Which is true for all of us, whether we see ourselves as leaders or not. Whether we see ourselves as having a, a particular role specifically in the church or in, in a different job or wherever, in the home, in the community. God has jobs for us to do. God has a plan and a purpose for us in his kingdom purposes. Paul was called to go and plant in Corinth and in so many other places. Apollos, in that case, was called to go and water and to nurture what was there. We read elsewhere in Scripture about one man going to sow, another one reaps. There's, there's all sorts of positions and roles. Sorry, there's all sorts of roles and jobs that God has got for us to do. Taking the opportunity that we have, speaking to our neighbour, whatever it may be. God has purpose for us. But in and of it all, all the glory belongs to him. This is what Paul is hammering home to the Corinthians. Don't put me up on a pedestal. Don't put Apollos up on a pedestal. Don't kind of get confused into thinking you're, you're, you're my bunch of believers and that you're Apollos' bunch of believers. No, you, it's God. It's him that you're following. It's him who is the one who deserves all the glory. So we're not to put leaders on a pedestal. We've all been given jobs in his kingdom. All working out what he has planned for us to do. But it's all for his glory. Secondly, what do we learn about ourselves? What are the Corinthians, what the Corinthians being told about themselves? Well, verse 9, Paul gives this interesting description. You are God's field. We are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field. And as I said, he goes on to say God's building. A field. Doesn't sound hugely spectacular, does it? See, the Corinthians have this desire to show that they're wise. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I'm the, I've worked it out. I have chosen to do this. My wise and clever thinking has led me to this conclusion. Paul says, no, you're a field. You together, you're, you're God's field. He's the one doing something. You see, Paul's message is a humbling one. Paul's making clear, ultimately, you haven't worked this out by your cleverness. It's what Paul's been explaining over the, the last couple of chapters. This salvation that you've come into, this truth that you have come to know. You haven't worked it out by your own cleverness. You see, he's making the point, the one who waters and the one who plants can't bring the growth. If we think about the scenario a bit more, neither can the plants themselves or the field. As his point is made, it's only God who brings life. So we think of salvation, we can get a bit caught up in this and think, well, wait a minute, didn't I choose? I worked it out. I, I, I read and I understood and I took it in and I came to this conclusion, this is the right way. Or someone explained it to me and I thought, yeah, they make sense. 
I investigated and came to a conclusion and I decided to follow. There may be loads of truth in that. We do reason things out and we do have experiences and we do come to different conclusions as we read and we study and we look. But ultimately, he's the one who chose us. Ultimately, he's the one who brings life in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see this remarkable truth. As Paul's writing uh, to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1 and verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is the humbling truth. However we came to believe, however we were introduced to Jesus, however we came to know about it, whether we grew up through in church, whether we suddenly appeared somewhere, whether we heard a, a speaker on a big stage, whatever, whether we were tucked away in our room or we had a dream or whatever happened, ultimately this is the humbling and yet glorious truth. He chose you. He worked in your heart. He worked in your life by his spirit to cause life to spring up. This is the, the humbling and yet glorious truth that Paul's bringing to the Corinthians here. You, see, you might think you're wise. You might think that you are the ones who've worked it out and you follow. No, you're, you're God's field. He is growing something. He, is, he has done something in you and he is bringing life. He has brought life to you. And he's doing it. So salvation is, is described as new birth. It's being born again. It's not coming to a conclusion in that sense. Of course we come to conclusions, but it's, we're being born again. It's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you're going to be in the kingdom, you need to be born again. You need this life that only I can bring. This is what God does. This is what we cannot do for ourselves. This is what a dead seed cannot do is make itself spring into life. The life comes from somewhere. It comes from God. Glorious and yet humbling truth. You didn't do it. It was God. He chose you. And at the same time, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. Their whole issue is splintering off and dividing up. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I follow someone else. I, I'm here. You're there. No, we are God's field. You are God's field altogether. You see, it's a humbling but also a collective message. See, Paul doesn't bring a, a nice little picture of actually of individual plant pots like I've got. We are God's field together. Not odd little private gardens kind of privately growing away our own way of following God's. Paul describes them as one field of plants together. God has caused life to spring up here and there and everywhere, all of us. 
God's chosen field that he is causing to grow into this beautiful garden, if you like. I've got this image in my head of this wild flower meadow. All sorts growing together. If you see a, a wild flower meadow, it's just, well, there might be one random red flower and one purple one, and one, see, there's really technical terms for the flowers, and a, and a yellow one, and a, see, I know all of them, obviously. But I'll keep it simple. Another red one, different colored red one, can I describe flowers in any other way than colour? Oh, a tall one and a short one. All these different flowers and plants growing up together, and yet it's beautiful. And as God grows his people together, it's not random. It's designed by him. He's doing something. He's bringing life. Life that's beautiful. You see, in Corinth, this had become ugly. We're over here, we follow, we follow Paul, we follow Apollos. What are you talking about? We're, we're right, you're wrong, what's going on? This quarreling and jealousy of, oh, oh, you heard Paul, did you? Oh, well, I only heard Apollos. All this ugliness and division. Look around today and see, we're one people together. One people gathered together. Not little subsections going off in different directions. This is what God is doing. Building something beautiful. I can say, honestly, as I look out here today, I see a beautiful field. There's all sorts of us. God's doing different things in different lives and leading us through different situations, but this is a beautiful field. Of course, it's not always easy. We're called to bear with one another. We're called to forgive one another. We, there's all sorts of things that can happen. But this is God's field. That's who we are. He's growing something beautiful. Not For us, it's not that we've cleverly worked it out. But we're chosen and saved by God to be part of what he is doing, what he is building, what he is growing together. And so thirdly, we do see God. How do we see God in this story? We are God's field. It's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about us or the Corinthians. It's all about God. It's all about him. Only God gives life. Only God causes the growth. See, this is the gospel truth that Paul's been exhorting for these first couple of chapters. We preach Christ crucified. This is God's plan, God's wisdom, God's power. This is what it's all about. It's God. It's God who does it. It's God who gives life. This is the truth. That truth that is folly and foolishness to worldly minds. This truth of salvation, this is the power of God. Foolishness to worldly minds, but revealed by the Spirit. See, not by the mighty speech of Paul or Apollos or Dan or me or Jeremy or anyone else. Nor by the Corinthians or indeed our wonderful powers of understanding. Our cleverness or our inherent receptiveness. It's by him. 
It's by his power at work in us. It's by his truth being revealed to us by his spirit. It's what he has done in going to the cross. It's by him. It's all about him. God makes it grow. You see the ugliness of what they're saying. I follow, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. No, no, no. In a sense, Paul's saying to them, guys, humble yourselves and see that this is an even greater, more glorious truth. You didn't understand a good message that Paul brought. You've been chosen and brought in and saved and given life by a mighty God who sent his son to die for you. Come back and remember that again. Come back and remember that truth again. This is what you've been brought into. Not Paul's club, not Apollos' club. God's family, his field, his wonderful, living, growing thing that he is doing. It was him. He saved you. He did it. He is doing it. He causes the growth. Ultimately, not any leader, nor by our own strength. We can't do anything without him. So Paul's message to the Corinthians, stop bickering, stop quarreling, stop trying to be wise in a worldly sense and see this ultimate truth. Remember this. It's all about God. It's all about him. Who are we? It's an odd picture in many ways to us, but we're God's field. He's growing something beautiful. We're all in together. It's a glorious, wonderful picture. God's done it. God's doing it. God will continue to take it forwards. Hallelujah.